Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean from the Isle of Skye, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. I'm friends with this wicked children's author, right? His name is Darren Garwood, and he writes these children's books called Jackson Superhero. By buying the one of the books, you're directly contributing to raising awareness of Krabby's disease, which is the disease Jackson suffers from in real life. Just go to www.jacksonsuperhero.com. Anyway, my question for you guys is, what was your favourite children's book as a kid? Thank you, and remember, question everything. Hello everybody and welcome to Dane Baptiste Question Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we're talking everything from... Well, we're talking everything from our friend Sean from the Isle of Skye. Hello again, Sean. He's, um, he, as you guys will have heard, he's promoting a, a charity book uh, and uh, good luck with that. Go and check out the website. But his question was, what was your favourite children? Children's book uh, when you were a kid, Dane. Where, where do you, what, what do you what do you remember? Mine's easy. It's definitely uh, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I I, I I used to read that and just uh, instead of eating chocolate, I think actually uh, we couldn't afford chocolate. That's, that's uh, uh, worrying. But um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I had the one book because I feel like there was a point in time when everyone was kind of getting into the same books, like Judy Bloom was real famous. Yeah. Townsend with the Adrian Mole series and stuff as well. Right. And I kind of got into them and then I discovered Beowulf and was like this looks fun life changing life changing but I think my favourite kids book would be well I don't know if it's a kids book but the best book I read in my childhood was 1984 what a classic children's novel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading my I'm reading my six month old child to sleep at the moment. That's, that's for the bedtime reading for my kids tonight. I was in that phase when I was like, everything's bullshit and the world's bullshit and I'm at the lesson, I don't trust anything and it just did nothing but validate all of my uh, I suppose my delusion disillusionment with the world. So I was like 1984, which I feel like would give listeners much more of an understanding of who I am as a person. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, suffice to say, we ask and answer all the questions uh, all the every questions. week. Every uh, don't week. we, Dave? Absolutely. Every single week, we answer all the questions, no matter how uh, small or insignificant you think they are. There are no such thing as stupid questions. And if you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network, where you can see all of our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a comedian, writer, and actor. Her live comedy work has been critically acclaimed across her six solo shows. On TV, she can be seen on such programs as Live at the Apollo, Hypothetical, Comedians Giving Lectures, and Frankie Boyle's New World Order, and her high, highly anticipated debut book, The Other Mother, is now out now and available to buy from all good book outlets. Please welcome to the show the genuinely wonderful Jen Brister. Oh, thank you, Dane. What a lovely intro. I just love an intro. You feel a, you feel a bit crap about yourself, and then someone gives you an intro, and you go, oh, maybe I have done something with my life. Do you know what, Jen? Genuinely, I'm at a point now, this is like episode 80-whatever, and... Uh, I love writing those intros because I know I'm about to give someone a bit of joy when they when they come on the show. It's like, look at you. Aren't you good? I know. It just really G'd me up. I mean, 2020, let's be honest. We all need a, we need, we all need a, some, all some, need something it. of a lift, don't yeah. we? Absolutely, Jen. That's the ethos on the question and everything that we are giving people their flowers while they can still smell them. So, yeah. <laughs> Consider us to be, we are the industry florist here at uh, Question Everything. Uh, there is no question that all of our guests are uh, very esteemed. How has your lockdown been, Ms. Brister? Well, it's been um, a lockdown of two halves. The first one, I was very much having a breakdown 
Um, and I feel quite uh, okay about saying that. I think there was a lot of chat about achieving, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. People were talking at the beginning of the first lockdown, hey, let's just take this time to like really just <laughs> achieve things and bake sourdough and let's learn the new language. Of fitness, and, so I'm doing, every day I'm doing yoga online. Digital. I'm doing CrossFit on my own. Yeah. It's like, really? Well, I'm in my fucking tracksuit bottoms trying not to shit myself. So just exactly. get back to me, you know, when, thing, when, things, when things get vaguely back to normal. And also, I'm trapped in the house with two six-year-olds. So actually, there were five at the time. So listen, my lockdown experience was very different. Um, but now, as we're in the second lockdown, I feel like I've now very much come to terms with the way my life is, that my career is now over. And, um, <laughs> and, and it's, I'm not, it's not over. And, and, uh, it's, and uh, an aspect of your career is on hiatus, we'd like to say. It's very much, it's very much on pause. And I feel like all... All the creativity that that just didn't happen in the in the first part of that, particularly I would say between March and September, where I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I now feel like I've found my mojo a bit, and so that's made me feel a, li- a little bit happier now that I'm a bit more like I kind of know what I'm doing with my life. Yeah. So yeah, but the thing about that, and and you know, Dane, you've we've we've talked obviously talked about this this year because we've 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 done this podcast all year, and and um, I just think. You know, when I think of Jen Brister, who uh, I, I am a fan, uh, listeners, uh, and, um, you know, like watching her at the Soho, I've seen her do a show a couple of times at Soho Theatre. It's like, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a force of nature. You know, how tall are you, Jen? You're not that tall, are you? No, I'm not, actually. People you, you think can... I'm taller than I am. <laughs> I was like to say. But you come out and, like, literally, like, this audience, who some will be your fans and some will just be coming to see you. You know, they're just like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a force of nature. And to remove that from you, um, no wonder you've had to readjust your being. This is what our audience needs to understand about Jen Bristow, is that you're, you're listening to a Purple Heart comedy veteran who has, on more than one occasion, done a Christmas party at a comedy club where the oh revelers God, were given a wristband for 50 pounds oh, for unlimited drinks and bring your own <sighs> BYOC, which is bring your own cocaine. And <laughs> essentially, um, watch Jen Brister basically <laughs> watch a, a bear pit versus a tiger sanctuary and both of those environments at the same time to bring me onto stage. And Dane, uh, that that stage. You didn't quit then, Jen. You can't quit now. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the worst gigs. Honestly, (laughs) Dane, this was like a Christmas gig. People have been drinking. They they paid 40 quid. They could drink as much as they like. They could obviously bought their own cocaine. There were people that were so coked out of their heads. There was one guy, Dane was on first. There was one guy who we were in the sound booth like, looking at each other going, and I said, I don't know if I can do this. (laughs) You've got to do this. And then as we were talking, a man fell off a chair and on his hands and knees crawled to the toilet. <laughs> we, like, we just watched him. We, neither of us said anything to each other. We just stood there and watched him and went, what is this? Yeah, it was. And I've got to tell you, the night did not get any better. No. It, it, it only got worse. It didn't look like it. It was pretty early on when you were kind of like, I can't bring him on if you guys don't stop speaking. And I was like, Jen, they're not going to speak him. Just... They're never going to stop. That's it. I was just walking to the Coliseum with you. It's uh, and and you survived that. And I think you know we're watching the uh, social fabric be restitched in our society. So it's, it's taken us a while as a people that are pine on society to work out what the hell's going on before we can like find our place in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that game was end of days. Jesus. But anyway. Well, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show dictates? Absolutely, Jen, as our esteemed guest, uh, we first of all thank you for coming to the show. I thank you personally for your contribution to our art form and industry. And uh, we welcome you to ask the first question. How can we make people care is basically my question. And what inspired uh, that question, Jen? Well, Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of this place. I yeah, don't know if you've yeah, been yeah. on it recently, or yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm out. Um, what a cesspit! Absolutely. I, pretty much any time anything appalling happens, whether it be around, but it doesn't matter what it is, yeah, whether it be misogyny or racism, or it could be about the environment, or we could be talking about refugees, or we could be talking about um, child poverty and providing children who live in poverty with food. Yeah, Yeah, just the basics. I am amazed at the amount of people that would oppose 
that are in opposition to helping children in poverty, that are in opposition to um, uh, being vaccinated, that are in opposition to... I just... uh, Anything. Everything and anything. To anything and everything. And and I'm I'm often... What I do on Twitter, and this is a... I know this is a form of self-harm. I will go on there and I will find a thread that is absolutely appealing where there are people chatting to each other and saying the worst kind of things of human nature. You know when people go say things like, I just don't know how the Holocaust could ever happen. Get on Twitter <laughs> yeah. and then you will see. If you don't, if you if you know your kids going hungry, don't have any. Oh, yeah. I'll, say I'll say to kids, yeah, I'll say to kids that I can't eat. Well, you should fucking get yourself a job, yeah. so it'll get up a chimney. But it's got an iPhone, but it's got an iPhone or an Instagram. If you've got an Instagram, you can afford to feed your kids. Honestly, I just <laughs> refugees, let them drown. Yeah. Get them fucking drown in the sea. That's what a scum are they? Corrupt dictators. That's like... the problem. It's the corruption of the dictators. <laughs> and why are we sending aid over there? We shouldn't be sending aid to foreign countries. Boy, we should feed children here. Why have I got to feed the kids here? Because <laughs> <laughs> the very people, and they're the very people, often the ones that are going, oh, refugees, let them drown, are the same people that are going, this country has been, what, Second World War, we yeah. won the fucking football in the 60s. You know, like, they completely misunderstood all of the reasons why we celebrate Britain having won a war. I mean, mm. let's not go into all the appalling things that this country has done you know, hmm. down to imperialism and colonialism. But if we're going to celebrate that, then that not that about... And, and we celebrate the fact that we took in child refugees, Jewish child refugees, yeah. not that many, by the way, but we do bang on about it. And now we're in a country where we have said no to any child refugee. I mean, it, the, you know, the Dubs Amendment has been overturned on more than one occasion by this government. So how... That's my question. How do we make people... <laughs> Care. I just, I, it's just I human. It, yeah, because it's, it's. How do you, how, how do you create empathy and humanity amongst people who, and also the very idea, like I've, I get called a libtard a lot, which I'm very proud to be, by the way. And the very idea <laughs> that being liberal or being left wing is an insult. Yeah. <laughs> you mm. care about other people, which means you're an absolute yeah. bell end. I'm like, what Ble- the bleeding heart libtard. <laughs> I know. I just, when the right, that's the thing that they throw at us. Oh, snowflakes, you care too much. It's like, well. <laughs> it's such an interesting question, isn't it, Dave? No, it's, it's, it's such an interesting question. question. And I would, I would say it's the question on most people's minds nowadays, especially people that are trying to contextualise their existence on social media. So it's like you said, with Twitter, and my, I'd say my, my theory, or and I guess the analogy I always say is that obviously Twitter is the home of opinions. And the saying is opinions are like assholes because everyone's got one. And they also contain traces of shit. And I feel like if <laughs> opinions are like arseholes, then Twitter is like the sewer or the latrine for said arseholes. Or if you could think like if we all as human beings have a stream of consciousness, that also pours into So basically Twitter is like a reservoir, but it also has a sewer. And the sewer is oh, discussing yeah. opinions it's- from people where... Another reason I've heard is a guy, once a guy said, uh, social media is like holding the mirror up to humanity. Because you get the examples of the good stuff, you, whether it's in the form of being able to connect with people you wouldn't normally be able to do so. Uh, historically marginalised groups are able to find other people like themselves and galvanise on social media. But by the same token, because you're holding up a public mirror, if you've ever been to a public toilet and seen a mirror, the kind of stuff that people write on mirrors is fucking disgusting. And it's just, normally you don't give it the time of day because if you're in a, in a service station toilet or you're like in a toilet in a nightclub and someone writes, Tracy's a slag, you're like, well, I don't know Tracy, I don't know this person, so I don't really care. Or you'll see a SWAT sticker and you won't really like be like, oh my God, like white supremacy and the shroud of it's coming over society. It's just some loser has written something for the sake of shock value and they're at home going, <laughs> no one's going to see. So, but social media has given that whole uh, aesthetic, a certain level of credence where people can create a anonymous or create a, uh, a, a pseudonym online. They put something for shock value that's disgusting or something that's like uh, pornography for the Tut Tut Brigade and they feel they can get away with it on this basis that I'm entitled to my opinion. And I feel like this is where we've gone on in society is that we have allowed opinion to replace fact. And because it's truly democratic on social media, you understand why aristocracy exists. So at some point in human history previously, we had a, probably had a state where everyone could say whatever they wanted. And because of the, some of the stuff people said, everyone was kind of like, we need to get someone that's just a representative of particular groups because if everyone has a say, 
like this guy cannot stop talking about like poppies and this guy can't stop with and like oh, I think we should be able to have sex with our cousins like some of you aren't supposed to speak so we have elected <laughs> officials to speak on behalf of their constituencies because if everyone that constituency speaks you're going to have mob rule which is democracy so I think the way one of the ways we can kind of get people to be a bit more human is to have them if they're going to have opinions that are contentious or contrary opinions they should have to do that to somebody's face because we are a social species. And if you have to say certain things or such vitriolic things to somebody's face, it's a lot harder. And the thing is, social media definitely mm. offers us the privilege of detachment. So people can say stuff about refugees because they're never having to come face to face with the gravity of that situation. Get out on a boat and watch a child in, a wa- in freezing exactly. cold water trying to stay alive and then turn around and say, let that exactly. kid drown. I mean, you, the, 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 the thing that... Um, that I find interesting and that you touched on there just, just now is that there is, um, I feel like there is a constant debate going on Twitter, which becomes about freedom and about the, the freedom to have an opinion and the freedom of speech. And also that, um, if you have an opinion, you should have the freedom to be able to say it out loud, whatever that opinion might be. And, we've forgotten that actually that isn't what freedom is. That's not, you know, you know, freedom has been um, bastardised and it's been... Um, it's, I, it's, I, it's, it's been a privilege It's been a privilege. Not everyone's even had freedom. So when people talk about freedom in terms of like democracy, for example, you, you argue well, at some point in history, women weren't allowed to vote. I think, well, Indigenous Africans would have only got the vote after 1994 or 97 in uh, South Africa. Plus, like, I think it's originally it's like 1997 in Australia, Indigenous Australians weren't allowed to vote. So there we have an example of where democracy hasn't always been ubiquitous for everyone. Also, we have laws in terms of the letters of the laws, which protects people from saying whatever they want. A lot of the time when people talk about the freedom to express their opinion, what they mean is expressing their opinion without consequence. And that's, again, as a social species, that's not the way it works. That's it. You can't just say that's exactly you know, people think it. can say what they want, but there's always going to be consequence. For example, as a comic, if I say something on stage which is divisive, it means that part of that uh, room that I've divided may laugh and part of them might not. We've never had a state, especially even with civilised society, where you can say what you want. That's why we have libel laws. If you lie about somebody or you create a fallacy about someone based on your opinion and it proves to be false, then that person can sue you and they can recover compensation for it. Or you have sedition laws. If you're saying something where you're trying to, I suppose, indoctrinate people with an idea then again, you know, that's not freedom of speech. Heresy was to be illegal in our society as well. If you spoke out against the church and state, then you'd be a heretic. And you, again, so there are many, Ofcom exists in the same way that if you say stuff or you behave irresponsibly within media, then you will be responsible for your saying because, you know, you live in a world whereby, you know, speech can influence things and influence actions. But Twitter has kind of allowed us to obviously, you know, kind of navigate around all the normal laws that that we we exist in, on a, like you say, on a face to face proper basis. And 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 to me, the central element of what what Jen's talking about with with empathy and kind of a lack of it, and how we get people to do more of it, comes from, uh, in my opinion, uh, that we have to find a way to get people to des- to desire more than being an individual. We 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 had a period of time in the twentieth century where being an individual was this incredible thing guess what if you're an individual and you're a success you can have a car and a tv and a tv in your house imagine having a tv in your house wouldn't that be amazing? that means you're a successful individual and the reality was that's fucking meaningless nonsense like it doesn't mean anything like your life will never add up to you people going oh jen brister wasn't she lovely yeah she had a great car who gives a fuck that's a good point howard that's that's how people are raised with that idea it, well, I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's individualism versus collectivism. Mm-hmm. And we know from living in a neoliberal um, society for being, for, you know, there was a, there was a you know, pre-Thatcher society and our values were different. Yeah. I mean, pre-Thatcher, they were probably, for example, like a dozen, you know, billionaires. And now we know that there are like hundreds of billionaires, you know. It became. It didn't become about um, what was best for society, which, which in actual in actuality, even the, the Conservative Party that we see today, it was not the Conservative Party pre nineteen seventy nine because they understood they were about conserving what existed within 
British society. And that included the welfare state. And they understood that in order that, you know, there were other things that they were against, but to to a less, maybe they, they invested less in the NHS or maybe they invested less in infrastructure, but certainly... Uh, old style, one, old style rather, one nation Toryism was very much about conserving what already existed. And then we moved into Thatcherism, which was about American neoliberal capitalism, mm-hmm. where we deregulate banks, we deregulate, we get rid of manufacturing, we put all of our emphasis on uh, the stock market. And we also create, mm-hmm. aspir- we, we create like, aspirational uh, occupation as well. So now you have occupational hierarchy where it's like, Bankers, uh, because finance is so emphasised in our society now, Thatcher, that's respected, even though if all the bankers took a week off and all your bin men took a week off, you would know who you'd notice first wasn't working. Exactly. And the very idea that um, anything that you do, which is collective, is limiting you as an individual. Mm. You know, the very idea that nas- anything that is nationalised needs to be t- privatised. Now, I, I'm, we, I remember what British Rail was like. It was not, by any stretch of the imagination, perfect. Mm-hmm. In many ways, it was quite yeah. shit. But rather than investing in the infrastructure of this country and investing in British Rail, what we did is we tore it apart, we sold it mm-hmm. off to various different companies who now run it at an exponential amount. You know, the, 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 the fares that we're paying... In, it's a fucking uh, piss take. It's a you, piss you know, take. If you go to France, you go to Spain, you go to places where those where predominantly it's still nationalised. Those rail Germany, Jesus Christ, what you paid? Continental European Rail puts British Rail to shame. No, the railways it, in continental Europe are the same. And it costs like a third yeah. of the price, and that's because they, you know, those railway lines, those trains are owned by the yeah. state, and we, mm. we, you know, what. But it's very difficult now to convince people who have grown up. The whole, gen- with the whole generation with this idea of that Thatcher based capitalism. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that you've now created a whole uh, sentiment amongst people where it's like, why would I do for somebody else if I can't observe a financial or fiscal reward for my actions? This is the thing. There's a lot of chat. On, uh, there's a lot of chat. When you talk about the welfare state, when you talk about national, nationalizing the railways, there's a lot of talk about handouts. Yeah. That's what the Conservative Party always bang on about. We're not giving yeah. handouts. And it's like, this is a myth yes. and a lie because everything that the Conservative Party sit on or, or built on is yes. on a handout. If you mm. went to Eton, that was a fucking handout. Maybe not from the state, but from your family. You have, you know, you, you're, you've been deep-throating a silver spoon since you were Absolutely. born, love. I, I am aware of the fact that everything that I have achieved, okay, yes, I've worked hard. Of course, that that, that comes into it, but that's not mm. it. I, do, I didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I come from a mid. I have a middle class mm. background. I am a white woman. I live uh, in this country. You know, I live in Britain. I live in a dem- democracy. I, I have been able to get financial support when I have been at my lowest mm. point. I have been able to ask for help. I have been given opportunity because that's what it is about. The, 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 the thing about class isn't just about um, money. It's about opportunities. Absolutely. It's about choices. And it's about the fact that when I was growing up, I always understood I had choices. I could do this, mm-hmm. I could do that, I could do something else. It wasn't about what can I do. I can, I just, I'm surviving day to day. That's all I can do. I don't have the privilege of choices and opportunity. And so when the Conservative Party are wanging on about pulling yourself up, this is a meritocracy, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, we're not giving handouts, it makes my fucking blood boil because then we hand out, we bail out the banks, we bail out fucking private yep. companies. We, give, we, also, we also allow, and this is what I mean, even for people, and because it's this conflation of the uh, tenets of free market economics, and capitalism, and they're not the same thing. So people are like, yeah, but I shouldn't have to do this handout if I'm not working hard. But the difference is, if you work hard, Jen, or I work hard, no matter how hard you work, you still got to file a tax return at the end of the day. So you understand that even when I have the opportunity to earn, I have to contribute towards that uh, tax base. If you have companies like Monsac Fonseca who are allowing uh, diplomats, politicians to not pay tax and file offshore, then you're not making the game fair for everybody. So even if you're trying to observe this free market uh, state that you're talking about, if they're able to get banker bailout. If bankers can get bailouts, socialist bailouts, and then on top of that, they don't even have to pay their majority shareholders, the taxpayers, a dividend. No, and then they still and get bonuses. That's not, that, that doesn't make sense. If they're getting bonuses as your preferential shareholders and majority shareholders, 
we should be getting a dividend. That should be going straight back into the coffers of tax. And to understand that you can't put a price on humanity. And I think even the lockdown and COVID has proven that you can't put a price on humanity. And that's been the biggest part of, I guess, one of the biggest phenomena I've observed is that you're watching people writhe and they're trying to squirm, particularly like, you know, the heads of state in this country and the states in Brazil, where they are being very open about their uh, fascist leanings. These are people who are now dealing with a phenomenon which they can't buy their way out of. You can't buy your way out of COVID. You can't mm. bribe your way out of COVID. If you're being told by scientific professionals <laughs> that it's dangerous, you can't buy their silence because they are aware of the implications of that. And I think COVID has definitely helped people to realise that for all of the uh, suggestion that capitalism is a sound uh, economic model, it doesn't make any sense. People need reminders of their humanity, you know? Remember the things Absolutely. you do that are selfless. I don't, I don't, you know, people will look at Bob Marley. I don't know how much money Bob Marley had when he died. I have no idea. Like, I don't know, I don't know how rich Amy Whitehouse was when she passed away. It, it's more about their, how they've imprinted on humanity. And, you know, it's about what does your name, when it's evoked by other people, what does that kind of, what does that create in their head? I think, I think there needs to be, and also, um, uh, you know, the idea that Thatcher had about that there is no society, that society doesn't exist. We understand is a lie. And we understand the Correct. importance of society. And the, we understand the importance of collectivism. And, that, and, it, and, and it became apparent, you know, whether, you know, you found it annoying or whether you joined in with the clapping. You know, I know, I know everyone I know that works for the LHS found it deeply irritating. But for, for, <laughs> the, for, but for people who aren't frontline workers, it was just an opportunity for us, as we were all isolated in our homes, to come out of our homes and see each yeah. other and celebrate people that we knew were working really hard in, in, in mm. possible circumstances sometimes. But ultimately, if that is all that was, then that was a waste yeah. of fucking time. You know, if that was all, it's like, oh, it's nice to see Sheila on her doorstep. Oh, I love, you know, then that was, what's the point <laughs> of that? If you're not learning anything from these things, if, if at the end of this pandemic, people haven't learned how important it is for all of us to look after each other and for there to be, you know, if you're an NHS responder or if you volunteered in your street, you've got a WhatsApp group and you're delivering medicine to your neighbour, if that ends once this pandemic eventually yeah. will this will come to an end because the vaccine we, we have a vaccine hmm. then then we've learned we've, we've learned again as hum, as human beings we've learned nothing I, and I personally feel like if we haven't we will go no further um but what an amazing question Jen that is like uh, a never-ending yeah I mean you could go uh, on for hours about that <laughs> it's 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 just um but I think hopefully we've offered uh, listeners some kind of insight into um you know you know hold on to your empathy it's it's all you really have if you want to consider yourself a human is that you know there's no if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Feeling you can't visit, you can visit on another human being you've not observed yourself. People have to know, know, have to know mm. what sorrow and fear and marginalization feel like for them to project it onto other people. So my question today is going to be a bit different. 
from Jen's question. Um, uh, it's slightly strange. Um, uh, for listeners who don't know Jen or Dane's stand-up material, you're, you're missing out. Um, but I was thinking about both of you on stage and how both of you use other people's voices when you're on stage. Um, is it okay to maybe ask for an example? Jen, I very much know one of the voices you do on stage. Uh, well, you're, you're talking about my mum. Uh, well, there's your mum, but then there's also this kind of like... Posh woman. Posh woman, and then there's a geezer. There's a geezer who turns up now and again, I, I've seen you do, who's like the ignorant geezer voice. Y- uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do I, I do quite a few different voices on stage. Um, but th- those, probably the geezer and the posh woman and my mum are the most common ones. That I the geezer's with. brilliant. You just just illustrate maybe just for a oh, moment what, what he sounds like. I know it's quite um, a lot of pressure, well, I think I did it? him a yeah, bit earlier, actually, when I was like, fucking he's not fucking, what are you sure about? <laughs> and, and Dane does something uh, in, in a way when he's being patronised. Uh, maybe, I don't know if you're still using this voice as much at the moment, Dane, uh, but there's this voice of the kind of, <laughs> almost story. like the TV exec, <laughs> the TV executive patronising Dane. Dane, do you mind just giving us a little well, illustration, I, then I'll I, ask the question. I, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about, because I, I understand all of the things. I want you to make it very clear. I have actually <laughs> two friends, I have not, not one, but two friends that have both visited Kenya. Uh, <laughs> and so these voices i've got to ask you it's kind of an interesting thing in comedy we just accept that you guys are you and then you get up and do these vo- where do these voices come from have you got voices in your head uh what is what is who are where are these voices I, coming I from? from anywhere i, I, th- I think I, I yeah i guess as characters i suppose they're more archetyped than characters i think they are composite uh char- or more composite characters that i, I think you meet in various different incarnations with slight nuance at different places or, or in most in their usual places or usual environments. So I think with comedy, there's a certain level of anthropology to it. And when you're describing your journey where you're traveling and we travel as a comic, you will within certain areas find particular demographics and you just kind of use those words to kind of relate to it. But I also think at the same time, at the same time as well as that, they do come from voices in your head. And when you may have heard particular things, and I guess kind of embellish it for comedic effect. So yeah. the voice there, yeah. the voice mm. are in my head, or there's something I've heard before and it resonated. And I think it's just as you kind of mull over it or you try to present it to an audience, then you kind of do maybe have an elevated version of that said person. Because I think most people can relate to that. Yeah. So I think it gets difficult in comedy when you, you, know, you, you do that thing where, well, my mate Dave has a guy, his neighbor is called Terry because the audience is like, well, who the fuck is this guy? I never heard of him or you. Yeah. The second you create the voice on stage, then you're immediately with that person. So, rather than you get, rather than you telling the story, you are, you know, you're showing the story. It's like a show yeah. don't tell thing. It's it's it's, it's it, it, and and in comedy, showing and not telling is Absolutely. always funnier. It, yeah. it, it just is. And and these voices are are, are a way of a painting a picture of it rather than you know drawing it. And 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 you know once you've got color then it's it's just everything is funnier and also the audience are there with you they can immediately see this person and I often use voices which I you know which are are caricatures so what I'm saying is you know who this person is by their voice you know who I'm talking about don't Mm. you like that sort of very posh hi yeah oh I'm so sorry you're having such a hard time with your children things are just going so so easy for me I don't know (laughs) I'm not saying I'm a better parent I'm just saying that I don't know what I'm saying. You know, that person, we've met We've met her. We know her. And maybe it's just the thing of, we've just evolved to the point as a paradigm of family where I don't really need to interact with my children with many verbal cues. We just kind of get each other. It's just, Poppy and I just have the same kind of, some kind of synergy we have. I don't know. I think, I think it's energy. I think it's something to do with the energy. There I am. I'm just giving off very positive energy with my children. They're just picking up on it. I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. <laughs> The, the reason it's so fascinating to me, and, and this is, you know, uh, an observation. You can tell me I'm wrong if you like, uh, but you don't like these people. <laughs> you're most, of, I know your mum's a particularly interesting example, Jen, right? Because obviously you love yeah. your mum, and um, and 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 yet she drives you up the wall um, to a to a greater extent. Yeah, uh, that's a quick summary of some of your feelings towards your <laughs> yeah, mother. Yeah. Um, so it's it's like this cathartic thing, I think, where you guys use these voices to almost kind of like overcome the issue. Issues you you kind of have with them, which is I think fascinating that people don't, other than comedians, have a way to do that as much. Yeah, you and also 
that's that's actually very true because I, a lot of the characters I don't like, or if I don't if I don't like, I'm just like you know, it's not that even though I don't like them, I'm just like this person is yeah. clearly a ballad. But um, it allows me then to do the voice, and then as I'm doing the voice, I can just get a little bit annoyed when I'm doing the voice, you know, and then that can take me somewhere else, <laughs> you know. So I start out like I'm doing the impersonation, and then you and then you very much see that it's me doing an impersonation, losing my shit while I'm doing the impersonation, and then then that's another you know then you're there's there's comedy in that so you can you can the thing with the voices is is that you can play with them all the time you can create callbacks with them and uh you can lampoon these caricatures that everybody's like oh i think i've met that person or oh, i know who that person is or oh, she sounds a bit like kirsty also she sounds irritating you know that that kind of thing and um it it with stand-up, we're always trying to make things interesting for ourselves on stage because obviously, you know, particularly when you're doing a show, you're basically saying the same thing every night. So how are you going to make it interesting for yourself? Okay, so you've got characters. And so those characters can say, you know, you can improvise with them, you can fuck about with them, and then that can just keep your material fresh. Well, that That's definitely yeah. why I do it because I get I, – I get – I have – I get so bored of my material so quickly <laughs> – that I have to, I have to do something to keep it fresh. Otherwise, well, you it's know, also not, I genuine interaction. Obviously, with, with comedy, I guess the structure of it as a performance art is they're almost trying to revive a state of conversation. And if you have the same conversation all the time, it can get quite boring. So a lot of the time, yeah, when you tell a story, especially if you're you're being a raconteur and telling people a story, you will embellish certain elements of that story to make it more interesting for you to recant the story as well as for people to listen to it as well. And I also think is a really effective way. I think I think it's almost a way like, you know, with people that suffer trauma, they try to use it as a a, a method of a therapy where they will recreate those same situations in a method, in a, in a way which they're in control of the situation. So maybe that's what we do as comics as well, is that like we create these archetypes for people who are normally responsible for some trauma or if it's a form of a microaggression when someone's being patronizing about your kids or if this guy's trying to be like the whole alpha and toxically masculine then we can kind of recreate those same archetypes. And well, because we have control of the situation and we can take it, talk from the perspective of what I actually thought at the time but wasn't able to say or what I wanted to say or in an ideal way, how would I deal with these uh, antagonists in the narrative? And you, like, you taking control of it, yeah. it's kind of like, I think you kind of free yourself where you're like, this is therapeutic for me because I'm like, when I recreate the situation in my head, this is what I'd actually like to do about it. And this is what I'd like to tell this person. It's, it's really true. And, and, and also you can, and, and on that point, that's when I also sometimes do it. If I, if I have a bit of material and I can sense that there's created a bit of tension or that, you know, then sometimes what I deliberately do is put a character in there where I go, I'll bet you're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. do you know what it's I mean? Then I create another yeah, exactly, character. Yeah. Oh, I know what you're doing. It, it becomes quite meta where I'm like, oh, you, this is, yeah. I know what you're thinking. And then I can put a voice and go, oh, she's, the, she's a fucking, some sort of fucking yeah. libtard leather. Here she goes, going banging on about a vagina. Yeah, goes, you know, talking about a fourth pair of trousers and the <laughs> fucking itchy waistcoat. Here she goes. You, Come you, on, you, then. You the power because you remove the power from that as well. And, and it's actually, it's good observational practice as well Howard, because it's like obviously comedy can be like a series of statements and sometimes you have to consider the contrary statement to what you're making and i think sometimes i acknowledge it yeah acknowledge and sometimes it. if you can and if you can preemptively do that in many ways it's number one it's a good challenge for yourself and it means you are researching your statements and you're able to take anyone with a contrary opinion and also you kind of like remove the power from potential hecklers and from your detractors if you can work out what they would say about you and say it before them then their leverage of power changes completely as well. So they can't really do anything about it. If you can work out, if you can work out what a heckle to a statement might be, like Jen says, and you, and you say, and someone's like, here we go, here we go, lesbian there. First, she's, uh, I bet she lives in, of course she lives in Brighton. I bet she's going to go on about hummus. The person who's like, whispering yeah, to his friend, because yeah. <laughs> there's a guy whispering to his friend being like, yeah, here we go. Because <laughs> that guy's going to go, I was saying that. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell, I was thinking that. And then when you cut through that, you go, I've already acknowledged that those prejudices is, those prejudices yeah. that you have, I've acknowledged them. And if you don't have those prejudices, you can go, oh, my, that's exactly what my dad's thinking. Yeah. I know my dad's thinking that. Or whatever. Mm. You know, then or, then you're acknowledging it. You're acknowledging that you're in on the joke, that you're aware of it. You're not like, you're not like some, you know, completely deluded about the fact that, you know, I, I'm not deluded about the fact that I'm a middle-aged lesbian banging on about pornography and, and women's flaps and talking about, vaginoplasty or whatever the fuck I'm banging on about at the time. Um, 
that, that men aren't going to want to hear it. Some men will be like, oh, she, she goes some lesbian banging on about her flaps. This is why I told you. I told you, Terry, this is why women shouldn't be allowed to speak. If you ignore that. He did say, he did say earlier, he was saying, he was saying. Then <laughs> um, all of a sudden, if people might have that little bit, of, then they can laugh at themselves or they can laugh at the situation or they can, or they can just laugh well, at me. I'm happy. I'm fine with that. Well, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, they say, right? And it's fascinating in this context that it it, it kind of it, it, it kind of doesn't work as simply as that. It's a it's a reflection. It's a it's a way of pulling people in. I, I think it's because because what makes it more interesting to me as a fa- as a fan of both of your work is that you have such distinct voices as who you are. So, like, I would say that that people come to hear those distinct voices. Jen, your take on the world, your, you know, your show about being a mother, kind of, you know, Dane, you know, one of your shows where you kind of dive into you know, big issues. It's kind of, they're there to see Dane Baptiste and Jen Brister, yet these these ways of, of expressing yourself are such an engaging part of what you get to do. It's um, it's quite interesting to dissect where you know, it's all, where it's all coming from. Voices and, and I think Jen's very similar. It's still relatively broad because what you don't want to do is start passing, uh, you want to sleepwalk into the territory of stereotyping or making generalizations. So it's more of a broad kind of uh, mm. archetype which people can relate to rather than me trying to make that so nuanced and create an entirely unique character or nuanced character, because then, then you're making generalizations. Because a lot of people that may share a lot of the uh, superficial, um, I suppose, aspects of the characters we create, they those people might be in the audience, and those people may have paid to see you. So it's not really about alienating that particular person as well. It's just taking some sensibilities that people can kind of relate to. Because I think, like yeah. I said, as we said earlier, with the, the previous yeah. question is that a large part of our problem socially is that we encourage a certain level of uh, individualism. So rather than trying to create an entire individual you can create more of a narrative and there are people that will relate to some of those sensibilities that you show in that narrative some people i know someone kind of talks like that it's but it's a friend a member of my family they talk that way and they may have these inclinations but that at the core that person's a good person who will buy me tickets for that show so you have to kind of yeah it's it's, it's creating it so because i think by having all the different voices as well and having that kind of balance with our own voices then you're really trying to observe more of a mutuality because if people hear what something that sounds like themselves or represents themselves, even on a very superficial level, then they're almost kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, she's like, yo, she's a lesbian, but uh, sounds like tell. So give it a listen. People speak in a certain yeah. way, in the same way that it's like, you know, we, we learn to associate certain sounds with certain environments. So this voice you might hear in a comedy club, of course you hear it. Or like, if you're walking past a building site, I'm used to hearing something like that. Now, if my oncologist comes out and goes, I've got the results back, fairness to but it's benign, don't you fucking worry. You come in for a quick call for radiotherapy, you'll be at literally split. Now, that person is still giving me beneficial news, but if your doctor goes, right, he was all right, but we found the lamp, but it was fucking benign, you'd be like, oh. <laughs> but by the same token, if someone was on a building site and it was like, I say, I say, madam, madam, the proportions of the curvature of your body, A class. <laughs> I find it I find it fascinating and um it was uh it was really I've been wanting to ask this for a while to to to... it's also because I'm I'm crappy at actually doing impressions of celebrities well but that's but that that, that's what that's what you know that kind of thing to me is so less interesting psychologically than what we've just talked about because like you know imitating like literally just imitating someone that you know whereas like Jen said you know, when she talks about her mother in this kind of, you know, and she does it the very to, to Spanish Latin accent uh, that her mum, your mum talks in, right, Jen? Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, you know, she couldn't sound any different from my mum, uh, who's an East London uh, lady. Uh, but every word yeah, she, she says sounds like my mum. So <laughs> yeah. With parents, especially. And for me, it's and like, it's well, fascinating. we can all relate to having like, you know, a, an overbearing or tactless like immigrant mother so yeah the fact the voice it doesn't have to sound like mm. my mother but the fact that you know it's a distinct voice where it's like quasi pigeon english kind of thing we can all exactly who, who doesn't it, anyone whose parents are immigrants you get that straight away so exactly i mean i have people that have like you know indian parents or pakistani parents or or jewish mums or you know they're like oh my god yeah. my, that is my mum and you know so you you, yeah. you know you can it's a bit basically all of those doesn't it well 
it, it's uh, it was a joy for me to uh, as a fan to to talk about that uh, and hear what you guys had to say. Uh, and Dane, over to you for our final question of today's show. Cool. So, Jen, now I love you like a big sister, and respect you <laughs> oh. as a comic, and because you have twins, uh, particularly resonates with me as a twin as well. Um, so respect so much so I think we were having a conversation uh, in the comedy store. I think you said that you're not a particularly big fan of Bill Burr or maybe he's at the Creek. Now, now normally I think I come from a generation of comics whereby he is Bill Burr very much put on a pedestal. However, just not for me. Yeah. And normally, now the thing is for some people, for them to give me that uh, feedback, I'd be like, well, you don't fucking know shit about comedy anyway. Who the fuck do you think you are? Bill Burr has done more with his career and his little thing. (laughs) But as I said, for someone I respect, I'm like, well, you know what? Jen is a seasoned veteran and a very competent and very talented comedian. And she is entitled to her opinion and I respect it. And yeah, and it's nice because it's like, you know, it shows you uh, based on, you know, the first question we discussed is that we can have a difference of opinion and still be able to approach conversation with respect and reverence for one another. And without, you know, an opinion, that a difference in opinion affecting our friendship. The question I have is, what is, as a result of that, what is your most uh, unpopular opinion right now? <laughs> oh, my God. What is my most unpopular opinion? Wow. Shh, shh, shh. Right now, to you back right now, I, tweet, I tweeted this week that I think that Michael Bublé is a fucking... <laughs> I saw this. It was brilliant. Every time Christmas comes around and I hear that. Oh, it's fuck. You can fuck right off, can't he? That sounds like someone like, and for me, it's like he is the leader of this new school of lethargic hipsters that keep doing crappy opium infused covers of normally exciting songs slash dance fillers. Like, you know, all the songs. Just listen to Sinatra. Just go and listen to Sinatra, you fucking bootle exactly. idiot. What, are you, how, what is this? Music. He sounds like somebody was in a lounge and fell asleep in a bowl of fentanyl soup. That is how Michael Bublé sounds to me. <laughs> I think he's Sinatra is like the Sinatra is like the greatest performer of one of the greatest performers of all time. He recorded all the songs in about ten different ways. Croon- Just go and listen to I'm Sinatra. Over, that's fine. That was fine back then, Howard. But I'm over crooning, and I, I don't care for Michael Bublé's soccer mum, Trump wife version of crappy <laughs> ballads that just make Christmas like that's a that's a great like, unpopular opinion Christmas Michael Bublé reminds me of Christmas where if like you're an old person and you come at your house and you actually slip on some sh- a thin sheet of ice and you crack your head open on the pavement in the snow at first you feel warm and fuzzy but eventually you're going to die from hypothermia and you're going to be alone that's what it sounds like <laughs> listening to a Michael Bublé song to me <laughs> now <laughs> I'm aware that not everybody feels this way but yeah that's okay. That's okay. It's an unpopular opinion. Kind of like logs in the fireplace kind of thing. Whereas I'm a, he's more of a logs in the fireplace, but you quietly die of carbon monoxide while you're watching it. I, I actually <laughs> controversially don't don't mind Michael Bublé. Um, fine, no, fine, fine. We can't. We're not going to argue. We're not going to argue. I'm actually unmoved by him. Uh, either way, I, I, when he comes on, I'm not like, oh, what is this fucking t- switch this shit off? But at the same time, <laughs> yeah. I'm not like. Why don't we have Michael Bublé? Um, why don't we have a Michael Bublé album on? I mean, that that would never happen. I mean, I would never buy yeah, his music. Right. I mean, in terms of unpopular opinions, I mean, oh God! I mean, I'm just trying to think of what I pick, can eh? say out loud without being. <laughs> you know, I do you what I'll. I'll put my quick one. I'll put my one out quickly, which is definitely one that um, has, has is landing me in in in, in trouble in, in conversations. Which is uh, is when I say to people who like obviously uh, most of civilization likes to dig out uh, Donald Trump uh, for all of the terrible elements of what he has achieved in his life. But I often like to say to people, yeah, just 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 so you know, you know, it's worth remembering. It probably is the most unbelievable story ever. Like he is probably going to go down as one of the most famous people ever and we must learn from that it's not enough to simply just slag him off and when I say that to people uh, occasionally the look I get is well do you support Trump and I'm like no that's not what I'm fucking saying am I I'm saying you need to look at it. this is the most this is one of the most iconic things we will ever witness this man rise to power it will be, it will be talked about for generations you can't just call him orange and just try and pretend it's not happened no I know and I, I that's something I do um, I, 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 it's easy, I, I it's right? It's easy to do. I find something about him and then I'll, I'll tweet about the fact that he's 
I don't know, he's got orange, he's orange or he's got a badger on his head or whatever. But I mean, um, mm. uh, yeah, in terms of my unpopular opinions, I mean, I'm just trying to, th- I honestly, I'm thinking of some now and they're all vile and I wouldn't say them at <laughs> now. Um, Let's hear. Let's hear them all. Let's hear. You're entitled to them. If we hear them all, then we can we can lower the, the how much they really. And obviously, Jen, if there's one that you really want to cut, we'll cut it. Uh, <laughs> Jen's just considering her career there. Right. Right? So she looks. It's not just that. I just think you judge me as a human. Let's have a think about it. Um, <laughs> well, we, we know you. We like. We love you. It's fine. I mean, I don't know. I mean, other people's children really fuck me off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> give us give us more detail give us more you, you know you, you are encouraged to like other people's children right it's a whole thing well, you've kind of got to be tolerant of other people's children haven't you and i think i think what it is is that um one of my boys uh he is in a friendship group with some kids that i just fucking hate <laughs> and honestly it, <laughs> some of the kids uh, i don't I've got, I haven't got really good. The reason why we don't, we didn't really want to say this is because just in case for some <laughs> random thing, one of the parents listens to, but one of them, he mm. looks like, you know, he's, he's like five, but he looks like he's 48. And <laughs> I'm so, how have you got the face of a 48 year old man when you're about five? And my son loves these kids and they couldn't give a shit about him. They're just not interested in him. And he chases around and runs after them and wants to play with them and he calls them his best friend, but they just don't know he exists. And it's not these kids' fault because they're five. And what, you know, five-year-olds, they just don't have, that part of their brain hasn't worked, you know. But when I see it, when I see when I take them to the park after school and I and they and some of the kids they all end up at the same park and they're playing and I see it being acted out in front of me, it breaks my heart and I just want to go up to those kids and go, You two are a pair of cunts, okay? You're ignoring my son. Okay? And he's wanna... he's too good for you. He has a personality unlike you. You know what? You guys are fucking beige. He is a rainbow. You should want to play with him because he's one of the best people I know. Do you know his imagination? All these little fucking stories. He's coming up with those and then you're taking them and owning them. They're not your ideas. They're his ideas. Now, fucking buck up your ideas. Include him in the game or I'm going to knock your heads together. But you can't do that in a public playground. And I've got a feeling their mums wouldn't let me anyway. So um, that's... Is that an unpopular opinion to actually want to... I think you are right. It is an unpopular opinion. I think you are... We are all encouraged by society to be... When someone, you know, introduces us to their child... To say, oh, and go after, oh, he's lovely. Oh, isn't he lovely? Isn't he lovely? They're not all lovely. Yeah, absolutely. I think young people and old people are given a lot of grace for their uh, personality uh, disorders. Some kids are horrible as children, and then they just yeah, become absolutely. horrible adults. And absolutely, and- we, don't, we don't, we don't, and we don't, we don't call them on it. And I think I feel like sometimes that's that's a big problem in our society is that we don't call kids on it, and we don't call kids on them having poor skills like that. And you know, and parents, what are the parents doing? At one point, one of them had a fucking, what looked like a tree and was just swinging it around his head, nearly smashing it. And I'm just standing there going, are we going to, is this, we doing this? We're just letting this kid swing a tree around? (laughs) No one's going to go over and say, hello, darling, maybe put the tree down before I smash your fucking head in, you know. Not even say hello, hello, darling, is something I wouldn't have heard as a child. I would have been addressed accordingly. (laughs) Put Put the tree down. And Listen, my mum would go, if it hits you, I'm going to take the hospital. So, yeah. My mum would go up to... My mum has no filter, as we know. When I was a kid, if, if there were kids misbehaving in the playground, she didn't give a shit if their, if their parents were there. She'd be like, what are you doing? Stop doing that. You were going to hurt my... Ch- you, I, if you do not, stop doing that. The kids would shut the fuck up. Yeah. I have... Yeah, of course I, they I would. I go up to a group of kids and go, listen, what are you doing? Can you put that down? They're like, oh, fuck off, you stupid cow. Like, I've got <laughs> no authority. Who are you? Shut I, up your ass. I tell you, though... No, you can just see it at times, right? There's you see the meet a kid, and you'd be like, nah, 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 I don't like this. Like having my boy, you know, he's six months old now, uh, and uh, as, as listeners and everyone knows, and uh, you know, he, it's been interesting because as they grow, you start to get a bit of a sense of their character, and you know, I'm, I kind of had a call with someone the other day and said, like, how's your kid? And I was like, yeah, you know what. He's not a bell end. I have to tell you, like I can tell you now, his character, taking after his mother more probably than me, uh, he's just he's just a very 
he's just a very kind of relaxed kind of guy. And he, you know, he likes to have a laugh. Uh, when he's eating enough food, he gets annoyed that you're still trying to feed him, which I think is acceptable. Uh, <laughs> I don't want people force feeding me. It's like someone has yeah, seven. Sure. Um, but, you know, yeah, but he's, he's a very nice guy. I can tell you already, like, I'll be very surprised if he turns into a bell But there are these kids where you're like, what a dick. I don't care what age you are. You're just a, just a knob. Back on the subject of Donald Trump, his mother told a story where he was playing uh, Lego with his older brother and his older brother, he kept pestering his older brother for some bricks to do Lego with as well. His brother had already made his thing and Donald wanted to, to play with him as well. And his brother, obviously being older and showing a side of humanity, gave Donald Trump a few Lego bricks to play with his. And you know what Donald Trump did? He stuck them together. So that no one could play with them. I mean, he stuck them together with glue. He stuck them together with glue, which means that no one yeah. could use them again, including himself. Which, <laughs> if you think about that how... everything you need to that's, know. That's about. everything you need to know. And that's the story from his own mother. Like, and his own mother said that, you know, this is somebody, for the sake of their own gratification, will make it so that no one can have a good time. And if you look at... Mm. If you fast forward now, fast forward 60 years now, where it's not enough for you to lose an election, but then to to kind of like uh, denigrate the entire democracy in which your country is built upon, plus the fact that you're now handing out pardons for people that might be indicted for colluding with you, plus the fact that you're bankrupt, it's kind of like it's this is it's like you said. If we let some it all people started people, with gluing Lego together, yeah, it started with you gluing Lego together, and someone should have been like, "You little fucking dick, mm. fuck up your eyes." That's what you've got to do. You've got to give your kids boundaries. Really hard to do it as a parent because you, you love your children and you kind of want them to have everything and all of that, but you've got to give them boundaries. If you don't tell them they're wrong, if you don't tell them that's wrong, don't do that, then they're just entitled little bellend to grow parents up to want to, want to be liked by their kids, but not respected. So it's like you know, people say you don't, they don't want to be too. Dis- it's like when kids are like when sometimes parents are like, "Well, if my son doesn't have a phone, he'll be the only kid in class without a phone." That's it's something that so- parents would not give a fuck about. My parents, my parents. Mm. My God, I, like there is my pa- my parents. Literally, we never got any of those sort of not that there were phones, but computers or any of that shit. Because my mom was like, "I don't want you sitting in front of a computer playing computer games." And that's, Even if that's, that's the reason she felt like giving, she might just be like, "I don't want to spend that money on that something that that for you." I mean, so, to be yeah. fair, that might have been more likely. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it, it actually makes me think uh, that in some ways we're coming full circle, and actually what we need to get these uh, bell-end kids to do is is have a bit of empathy for what their actions are, you know, kind of feel, for, you know, kind of they, they often, well, they I think... Consequence, cause and effect. Like consequence, but also just, just realising that you're, you're being selfish um, is something that, you know, can have a, a, a I think, a, a positive effect. I definitely have realised since having a kid that I was generally quite selfish every day because <laughs> you can't, you can't now because otherwise the kid probably don't, you know, doesn't make well, it yeah, through yeah, the day. Uh, so you can have to have to stop being selfish is a, is a thing to get these kids to understand. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And it's also getting people to understand that like Michael Bublé is just a crooner who is really, really, <laughs> really not really special. Like he did a version of my Carey's All I Want for Christmas. You know why that's a great song? Oh. Because the fucking notes that she hits in that song, are crazy. I know. She goes, Out of world. World. Oh, yeah. no, we can't, no one, none of us can do it, so we leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Not Michael, though. He shows up and does his terrible He just covering. takes it down a couple of octaves, doesn't he? He just takes it down mm-hmm. and it, just, it turns into crooning. How, why is crooning is still relevant? How is that fair? Where's all the other old music from that time? Yeah. Scatting that people used to do in jazz. Yeah. Like, you know, bebopping. Why? Yeah. Yodeling. No one gets to yodel anymore, but every Christmas, Michael Bublé gets to come back. Now, I want to say... From what I'm able to glean so far from Michael Bublé, seems like a nice man. He does seem like a nice bloke, doesn't he? Particularly like loving his children. I know he took a lot of time out to take care of his kids, which is massively in me, admirable. And if his wealth is able to facilitate that, I champion it. But my God, the O2 (laughs) full of soccer mums using him as a (laughs) masturbatory aid is too much for me. Too much for me. It's yeah. the same women you all know who are going to go and get their book signed for Fifty Shades of Grey. You know who I mean, Jen. You know oh, who I mean. Mate, I know. I feel you. Well, it's uh, on that on that bombshell. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I would say that the uh, this has been a wonderful, wonderful episode to to do with Jen, right, Dane? Absolutely, Jen. As I say, uh, love you like a, love you like a big sister, oh, and I hope the family will. 
Please let uh, the listeners know where they can find out more stuff and find out more of your stuff. Well, you can obviously find me on all the socials, Twitter and uh, Instagram, Jen Brister. I think Instagram is Jen Brister Comedy. I have a book which is called uh, The Other Mother. You can buy that at all good bookshops and even shit ones, I believe. Um, you can all, also, um, I do a podcast called WTB, which is also on Acast, and you can get it all places as uh, Women Talking Bollocks, which I do with Maureen Younger and Alison June Smith. And lastly, my comedy special, Meaningless, is out. Uh, on Amazon Prime, Prime UK, okay. um, Prime Video UK, yeah, and it's it's on the with the Dane. Dane's got his um, uh, special special out as well. It's under is it Soho Live? You can watch Dane yeah, is so episode both, one, and I'm episode two. So smash them both in. Why not? Oh, listeners, you you would be in for a treat. Listen, go and find Jen's show. It's honestly you you be you you be in for a treat. You'd be in for an absolute great, guys. Lighten your lockdown with uh, some of uh, Jen Brister's comedy and also get the book uh, for great Christmas reading. I think it's very important, especially for people who are learning about uh, learning to care about other people and newer paradigms of love and family. So I highly recommend it, guys. And also, if you want someone to settle your coke-confused bear pit, Jen is the woman to go to. Yes, sir. I can... But she's going to have bed for less than five grand, so make it worth it. (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you so much jen it was uh it was a joy it was a real pleasure thanks for having me it's been great jen you've been listening to dane baptiste questions everything hosted by dane baptiste for more from dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on twitter at danebaptweets or instagram at Baptiste. Our guest was Jen Brister. You can follow Jen on Twitter at Jen Brister or on Instagram at Jen Brister Comedy. The show was produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. <laughs>